0: and speaking and talking to us and stirring our hearts and just be believing over this next 30 minutes that God's just going to continue just to seal what he wants to do in our lives as a community of believers this year may have been a Christian 30 40 50 years we've got people in the church this morning and that is their experience other people that uh, are on the journey to faith and just allowing God to speak to them and other people quite callow in terms of their understanding of God but the wonderful thing is God can draw all those strands together this morning and speak to every one of us. Now, in a moment or two, I'm going to come to the verse that I want us to think about. But before that, I've just got a little preamble, and I'm anti-preambles, because my thing is if the preacher's getting up there, guess what? He needs to get on with it. And so I'm, I'm not four people sort of talking for 15, there's nothing worse. If you ever sat there and somebody saw it for 25 minutes and then they said, now let's come to the word, they've lost it. They could preach like an angel, they've gone... But I've got a couple of things on my heart this morning that I just need to, I just feel I need to just roll out and then we'll come to the verse. And the first thing is on baptism. See, the thing about baptism is we, we can make too much of it, we can make too little of it. We can ask people to be saints, and, uh, but we can undermine it. Baptism is about beginnings. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to do a series in church one day on confessions that are made that people think are in the Bible but aren't. So here, for example, is I can just praise God in my heart. It's not in the Bible. You don't have to come to church to be a Christian. It's not in the Bible. Tithing's about law, but not grace. It's not in the Bible. Tongues is not just for everybody. It's not in the Bible. So we could go on. All these things that people roll out, and they're not in the Bible. And Here's one about baptism. God's not told me to do it yet. It's not in the Bible. And the reason it's not in the Bible is because he's told you to do it. Repent and be baptized it's a command and the only restraints upon you being baptized are twofold they're either parentally in other words your mum and dad don't think you're ready yet or they're pastorally so the pastors know something that nobody else does and the answer is you're gonna have to wait they're the only two restraints but most of the time friends it's you need to do it you need to move on and be baptized conversion Establishing yourself in the Lord and baptism. Baptism in the New Testament wasn't waiting around forever, waiting for God to tell you because God had told you. And the reality is, I I shared this this morning with some passion because if we are to strengthen this year, we need to strengthen in baptism. We need more people stepping into the command of God. And if A is conversion and Z is the absolute fulfillment of God's purpose in your life, you need to move through B, C, D, E, and F to get there. And B, C, D, and F for baptism, it's just straightforward, it's just basic. So let me just sort of say, you might fear water this morning. Well, as far as I can re- recall, in 2,000 years of Christian history, no one's actually ever drowned by being baptized, so be encouraged. Okay, and we understand that, we understand that, but you've heard this. you need to bring the shout over it this morning and be baptized. You might say, well, I, you know, this testimony business, well, write a few lines down, be prepared, and if you can't do it, somebody else will do it for you. But the reality is that your story will impact people like nobody else's. And it's by the word of the testament that we're overcoming. Well, what will other people think? Well, who cares? Because if you're going to spend your Christian faith forever wondering what other people think, you're never going to do anything. And we need to step into what God is doing. And I really encourage you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then the first Sunday morning in Arena Church in February is the time for you to be baptized. Be strengthened. The second thing is this, friends, that I was thinking during the Christmas holiday, this is my first opportunity this year to minister the word of God. Always a privilege. And the reality is I, 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 I recognize that it was the, this is the 35th full year that I've looked down the, 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 the calendar and thought, I've got to get some ministry ready. And I, I take no less a gulp now than when I was 24. You thought I was seven when I started, didn't you? But anyway, but <sighs> some of you got it. But you see, the lyricist looks for the new song. The writer looks for the new chapter in the book. The journalist has to write the new article. The playwright's looking for the new script. It's no different from the preacher. Because the reality is, friends, there's always one challenge about ministry, and it's this, fresh bread. I've no intention of rolling out ministry, and none of us have, in the house. That we're just not thought about, not prepared, not planned, and it's not currently in our hearts. That's the, that's the challenge, fresh bread. And uh, during the uh, Christmas holidays, I was watching uh, News 24, and uh, they had a half-hour program on of all the people, uh, say all the people, but many well-known people that had gone from this world in 2013. Of course, President Mandela, former Prime Minister Thatcher, and so it went on. And uh, it was a particularly poignant program for me because 2013 was the year that I said bye to my dad as well. 30th of June last year, he went to be with his Lord. And uh, so I was watching this program, fascinating. They had Eddie Braben on. Eddie Braben was the guy that used to write the jokes for Morecambe and Wise. And uh, Liverpool lad Scouser. And uh, this year he died. And they did this clip on him and he says, it hit me. He said, I started off as a 14-year-old kid writing jokes. He got to the place where I realized that 24 million people in the country on Christmas night were waiting for me to make them laugh. And actually it impacted his health. It impacted his health. But the reality is, friends, there's no less a go for the people that have the privilege of ministering on the platform of Arena Church because we need fresh bread. We need something that's going to continually minister and lay something into our hearts. And you've got a part to play in that. You might say, what? Well, well, Malachi 3.10, so that we're to bring our tithes to the storehouse. That which God has blessed us with, we're to bring back a tithe, a tenth to him, that will bless him. And I was listening to Bill Johnson, Bethel, Chemp- Temple, uh, Bethel Chapel, Reddins, California. And he made this statement. Sometimes, I, I, When I said I'd never seen it before, of course I'd seen it before, but it went bump into my heart. Because it talks about bringing the tithing to the storehouse. And the storehouse is the local church, by the way. It's not God channel. It's the local church. It's not some charity that you think you'd like to give to. It's the local church. That's the, the priority of our giving. And he says, bring to the storehouse that there may be food in the house. And it hit me like a bolt from the blue. You see, the, the the consistent obedience of the people of God has a direct correlation to the food that's served in the house. It really is. You might say, Well, how does that work? Well, I'm continually talking to people about advancing church. And here's the truth, all across the country, you'll get people saying, Do you know how many churches are closing? And they are. But I want to tell you, do you know how many churches are opening? You see, because as churches are closing, churches are opening. But why did churches close? Why do churches that were fantastic once now become a carpet warehouse? What's all that about? Well, there's many, many things. I don't have time to uh, mention that this morning. But one of the things is this, friends, that historically, if you trace it back, sometime during the line, people withdrew. And they used to do it brutally. So when I started out as a 24-year-old kid, I'd been married a week to share and Run in the church. We survived. We were, in a, we were in Skegness. Some of you won't even go to Skegness, on a, you know, for your, you know, for a, if somebody pays you free. But it's a nice place. And when we lived there, we used to say, "Hey, we live here." You know, they all used to come with the aran cardigans and be wandering down the road. You know, yeah. <laughs> we live here. Doesn't Sue know what I'm talking about? this morning, there was a, a denomination, I'll, I'll, I'll spare the embarrassment of the denomination, but my, one of my first tastes of ministry, a wonderful Scottish pastor I became friends with, they starved him out, lived in the manse, and the church, the house, stopped paying into the church, and he had to go back to Scotland, because they didn't like him anymore. That used to happen regularly, friends, churches were known for starving out the minister, and the wash hands, I thought we'd get another one in, here's what happens, the one they get in afterwards is never as good. And God's noted it, by the way. Yeah. God's noted it. And something gets sown into the heavenlies. They all think they've got away with it. But 20, 30 years later, often there isn't a church. There isn't a church. Because the direct correlation of our response to God is that there may be food in the house. I say all that because I encourage us to give to the house of God. It continues to fuel the house. There's been a church of something of this expression in Ilkiston since 1929. Why? Because people have given to the house. And here we are in 2014, and there's still fresh bread. It's a miracle. It's only God's. It's only God. And you have a responsibility in that. You say, well, what do you do? Well, let me be completely transparent. Because in my world, arena pay forty percent of my salary. But I give one hundred percent of my salary back to the church as a tithe. Why? Because I believe in this house. And I want the bread to flow. I want it to be fresh. I want it to be I want it to be. Voice that wanted to be tasteful, not just me, but all the guys and girls that share in the house. I encourage you in that this year, strengthen strengthening that area. Don't hold back, give it to God. And then the final thing is an advert for us and as a God. So we met as a national leadership team this week, first meeting of the year, it was great. And our national leader, John Parting, is actually in Jerusalem this very weekend, representing our nation. Uh, at the World Advisory Pentecostal Council, so it's great for John, it's his first meeting, he's a bit pumped about it, because he comes up and sort of, you know, uh, nobody thinks he'll ever sort of feel sort of uh, nervous about anything, but believe you me, he does, so just pray for him, that God will just bless him, as he mixes with some of the great and the good of the Pentecostal world, but simply to say from John, that um, every week to our Assemblies of God leaders, over a thousand leaders across our nation, we send out a A weekly newsletter includes a devotional from one of the national leadership team and various news. So for instance, Hurricane Haiyan that hit the Philippines in late last year, we've raised over £75,000 from Assemblies of God to bless our church leaders on the ground in the Philippines that can help people and bring some sense of restoration to their lives. If you'd like to be part of that growing family of receiving that weekly news, then if you just Google in Assemblies of God, it'll bring up the front page website, if you click to the appropriate sort of thing on the, on, the, uh, on the front page, they'll take your email address. And every Monday morning, you'll get that coming into your inbox as well. And we just want to expand the family of people that have access to all of that. Whew. So that was the... Now we're going to start. Okay. So I am conscious of the clock, so don't worry. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. And here's uh, the Apostle Paul speaking to one of the great churches of the first century. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, being saved, being saved, saved, will be saved, being saved. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And this morning I want to make a particular uh, uh, application to our lives in the minutes that we've got in this second part of the message Christian feeling that prophetic urge in his heart to encourage us to strengthen this year. The eldership of the church completely backed that. We're for it. We're in great solidarity about it. We're applying it to our own lives. We'll let it spill out to the church. We are believing friends that God's going to use it. Not consolidating. Not just holding ground, Not holding the fort. Not any of that. It's going to be great. There's going to be lots of things that will continue to rumble this year. But all of us strengthening in our lives to make stronger. what the word simply means. And I want to talk this morning for a few moments about strengthening arena intelligence. Strengthening arena intelligence. And I'll ask you to listen to me really carefully because if you don't, you're going to misunderstand what I'm trying to say. So let me say straight away, friends, I have no problem with people being intelligent. If you're a thinker, if you like to work everything through... If you're sort of a a person that sort of takes academic pursuit, there is no pushback in Arena Church to you. There really isn't. We encourage our kids to do well at school. We champion them when they go to sixth form college and university. We celebrate when people get degrees and pass exams. We do all of that. In fact, we're up for a lifestyle of learning. So if you've pitched in for a night school class this year, that's fantastic. If you want to learn Spanish, even though you're going to Czech Republic for your holidays, then that's great so we're up for all of that we're not anti-learning we're not anti-academic you need to hear me right at the beginning none of that no pushback we need thinkers we need people who challenge us in, in terms terms graciously we need people that will stretch us but you see there's a definition of intelligence and it's twofold and i want to go to the f- the first one first there's a definition of intelligence that simply defines it as an ability or a capacity to learn So learning, reasoning, gathering facts. That's what intelligence services do. They gather facts. Driving to Cheltenham, you see that huge building, GCHQ. What are they doing? Well, they're using every technology available to gather facts. Of course, there's been debate this year about how they're doing that, and I'm not going to go there. But the reality is we need those sorts of things operating, sadly, in a world of global terrorism. So we've got people that are gathering facts, and there's a sense where intelligence is a head knowledge it's an assimilation of facts nothing wrong with that but the truth of the matter is friends, that's never going to get us to God and it's never going to cause us to be strengthened in God and so Paul comes to one of the great world cities of the first century and says actually I'm bringing a message that's foolish it's the cross and uh, To those that are perishing, it seems that way. But to those that are being saved, they're all over this room this morning. It's the power of God. And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he goes on to say, knowing the context he was in, and if you read verses 18 to 31, you will get the context. I would destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligent of the intelligent. I will frustrate. In other words, there were people there, Jews, that were... (coughs) seeking after signs, and Greeks looking after wisdom that were trying to define Paul's message simply by their intelligence. And he wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. You see, because he he ran back to the cross, and the cross could be so difficult for our intelligence on occasions to absorb. Because lots of people want to do the God thing, but they want to do it their way. And you've heard already this morning, It's not our way, it's his way. And here's three things that intelligence does. Number one, it it expresses itself in arrogance. The message seems foolish to us. Here's how it goes in 2014. Huh? You don't expect me to believe that rubbish in arena, do you? Jesus dying on a cross 2,000 years ago. What's that got to do with me? What about science? What about Brian Cox on his programs? What about Dawkins? What about, and so we go on. It's all God's nervous, friends. He isn't. He isn't. And we rise up thinking that we're cleverer than God. And I said to Christians sometimes, I don't want to be cleverer than God. And if ever I feel I am being, I repent. I don't want to be cleverer than God. That's why I mentioned baptism so strongly this morning. Don't be cleverer than God. And then it brings aggression. Paul writing to Timothy Young pastor leading the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. And uh, he says to Timothy, he says, you're going to have to be on your guard, uh, my friend. He says, because there are people challenging the faith of the Lord. And here's how William Barclay describes it in his commentary in these verses. They're doing it by speculative intellectualism. They're bringing their heads to confront the power of the gospel. And here's what happens when people get aggressive, and they were bringing pointless questions. They were into all sorts of things, fanciful and myths. And he says to Timothy, don't be taken in. Here's what happens, friends, when we get aggressive in our intellect. We want information, but not impartation. We want to talk about God, but we don't want to be touched by God, because that changes us forever. We want our way and not his way. And It's all over 21st century society. You don't have to look far to see it. And it expressed itself in a heresy, which I don't have time to develop this morning. I don't get, don't get too uptight on the word. But it expressed itself in a heresy called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism did, it claimed a higher knowledge or intellect. We're in the light, but you're not. We've got it, because we're clever, but you haven't. And Paul says to Timothy, be careful. Because what Gnostics did, they divorced their supposed knowing of God from their living for God. And you can't. We express that we're friends of Jesus when we do what he tells us to do. And their philosophy was this, all matter is evil and all spirit alone is good. They denied that Jesus came in the flesh, they denied the resurrection... And so basically, some of them ran to extreme asceticism. In other words, they'd lie on beds of nails and all that sort of stuff. But most of them claimed a spiritual enlightenment, but then in the body pleased themselves. They divorced what they said was spiritual from how they lived in the physical. That is error. Because the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what you believe needs to express itself in what you live. That's the Bible. And we have an extreme grace message going around nowadays that basically says, well, as long as you live in, believe in Jesus, you can do what you want. It's nothing new. At the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about grace, and he says, "We're sin abounds, grace does much more abound. No chapter divisions in Romans, so go to Romans 6.1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid. In other words, friends, it's an abuse of grace. Now, I'm for grace. And grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. God is take, grace is taking the debt away from our life. I remember several years ago, I did a series in Jacksdale on grace. And I was reading Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great 20th century preacher in Westminster Chapel, London. And he says, if somebody comes up to you afterwards and says that you're undermining the gospel and diluting it, you know that you preach well. It registered. First week, did this message on grace. Somebody came up and said, can I have a word? Here we go. I knew what was coming. I think you need to be careful. I think you're watering it down. Yes. I knew I preached it well. But listen, friends, I'm a grace man. We've talked about, we sang about grace this morning. We can't do anything without the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But here's what Titus 2.11 says. For people, even people in this room this morning, think that you can say what you believe and then live what you like. You can't. Because it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age whilst we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace, friends, brings a passion on my life to want to live like Jesus. That's what it does for me. That's what it does for me. Don't divorce what you say that you believe with how you live, because you're in the same error as these guys if you do. And it's rooted in the fact that you think you're cleverer than God, and you're not. And the third thing is that these people go astray. Because at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6... Paul says, Timothy, put your own name there. Julie, Christian, Andy, Chris, put your own name there. Guard what you have been entrusted with to your care. Turn away from godless chatter, the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge or intellect. Which some have professed and in doing so, listen, have departed. Friends, it was crazy over 120 years ago that we began to establish liberal Bible colleges across Europe where people came in believing in God and Jesus Christ as Lord and went out I mean, departed from the faith because intellect got in the way. And we've got a great Bible college just up the road at Mattessi and We believe in training people well, but not to train God out of them, but to train God into them. But when we let intellect run riot, you can see the devastation it brings. People, friends, were on fire for God then they went to university. And they've wrecked the parents' hearts because they've come out of university three or four years later and they've turned away from it. Turned away from it. One of the reasons they'll give is, well, you know, I got with thinkers. I got with people that made me think. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But friends, when intellect, when intelligence, when knowledge takes us to stray from the faith... That's tragic. So be careful of an intelligence, and it expresses itself in our 21st century society, that is arrogant, that is aggressive, that seeks to take us astray, that's full of pride. You see, faith is received. It's not achieved. It's received. And I want to briefly just go to the second part of the message this morning, because I want to encourage us to strengthen in our arena intelligence. Because the second thought of intelligence is not just a capacity to absorb facts, but this is where I really want us to home in this morning. It's the faculty of understanding. It's understanding how God wants us to live in Jesus Christ. Ordinary people, ordinary guys like me, nothing special about me. But just having an understanding in my inner being of how God wants me to live and how to live truly intelligently. The Bible says the fear of the Lord, that means not fear, and quaking, but respect or reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or intelligence. That's where real intelligence starts, when we fear the Lord. And uh, in 1983, Dr. Howard Gardner, a, a, a professor at uh, Harvard University, uh, came up with this invented term called multiple intelligence. And he applied it in eight ways to word number To pictures, to body, to music, to people, to self, and to nature. Well, I thought that was good, so I'll I'll nick it. So this morning, I'm going to give you five aspects of spiritual multiple intelligence. And we're going to run through them really quick. And then I'll ask you to apply them to your heart as God speaks. So every one of us can go out of here this morning truly strengthened in what intelligence is really all about. Number one, you need to be strengthened spiritually. In Ephesians, and the verse, first 10 verses of book in the New Testament, it tells us three things. Number one, it tells us that in our sin, that's our wrongdoing. That's where we've missed the mark with God. It tells us that we're dead. You might say, well, I don't feel dead. Well, thank God for that. Otherwise, we'd be calling the ambulance. But you're dead. You're alive this morning physically. But if you've never come to Jesus, you're dead. You might say, what was all that about at the beginning? Folks lifting hands, singing, getting pumped up, shouts of praise. Because we're alive, friends. We're connected with the living God. And outside of Jesus, we're dead. But he's done something for us here. We come back to grace. He's done something that nobody else could do. By grace are you saved. Not by intelligence. Not by being clever enough. Not by giving money to the church. But he comes to where we are and he saves us. And the Bible says we're not dead anymore because he's made us alive. The old-fashioned word there, which we don't use anymore, he's quickened us. He's made us alive. Remember when you got saved? That's the problem with some of us. We forget what we were like before we got saved. You were dead. You were miserable. You were gloomy. You were depressed. You were down on yourself. You were ashamed. The day you came alive. The day that grace touched your life. There's a third thing. Verse 10 says that he's made us alive for a purpose. Because it says there that we're his workmanship. And the real understanding in that verse is this that you are his masterpiece. We've got to strengthen in serving this year. Why? Because it's the divine purpose of God. You are saved to serve. It's our destiny, it's our purpose. No wonder the enemy pushes back on serving teams at times. No wonder it brings discouragement when you step in. But it's your strength and you learn to step through. You learn to step through and become a vital serving member of the community of believers. Secondly, friends, we need to strengthen our intelligence emotionally. There's something called EQ, emotional quotient. We all need it. We all need it. You see, if you like, this is the soul side of our body. I've always laughed when people have tried to remove emotion from Christianity. Lord, help us. It is emotional to follow Jesus. I get emotional about it. And to try and dilute it from we just know the word, brother. Calm down. Woof. and we all emotionally flatline. Nobody ever gets pumped. Nobody ever gets happy. Nobody ever gets stirred. We just come in. Because God doesn't want us to be into emotion. Well, he created us for emotion, friends. And the psalmist talks about rejoicing, emotion. Then he talks about being in anguish, emotion. He talks about thirsting after God, emotion. He talks about being downcast, emotion. And the reality is, friends, that we, need, we understand that emotions come to us. And sometimes our emotions are served by the tragic, the terrible, the traumatic. Oh, I wish I didn't watch the news sometimes. But if your emotions don't get served by watching what's happening in the world at times, know what's, hap- know what's going off. But then, of course, the emotions get served by the trivial and the temporary. And that tear-jerking film, some of you may have watched it last night. I don't get films, so it's fascinating in our house, particularly if Alison and Sharon are here. And all of a sudden I'm watching something, I think, no, it's not got me, and they've got (laughs) tears. No, I didn't get it. But 89 minutes and we're one down. (sighs) And then she don't get it. It sits in my memory now. I sat on the, all on my own, nineteen ninety-eight, I just watching Argentina against England. He just retired. And by the time Michael Owen had put that goal in, I'd moved to the telly. I'm, I go and watch our guys on a Saturday morning, supposedly, to be relaxed. They absolutely put me through the ringer. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. Don't come and say to me, it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of sport. It's the beauty of theatre. It's the beauty of opera. It's the beauty of ballet. Whatever stirs you, it doesn't matter. There are things in life that do matter. But the fact is you're made for emotion. And we recognize emotions, but here we're not ruled by them. We recognize them, but we're not. So you didn't feel like coming to church this morning. Rule it. Come anyway. And you'll find that you're amazingly blessed. Be intelligent, don't emotionally flatline. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time you were moved in the presence of God? When was the last time you wept over some lost person that's in your world? When did you get moved? We need to strengthen in our emotionality. Thirdly, we need to strengthen relationally. God is a relational God and he's calling for relational people to respond to him. Here's Gordon MacDonald speaking on relationships. He says, six reasons why relationships are important to me. Number one, the dysfunctionality of relationships in society. Two, the Bible is a relational book. Three, the 21st century culture that is all about relationships. Four, because relationships are broken in so many lives. Five, 49 years of experience in ministry, give me a heart for relational building. Six, personal relationships after everything else are all that we've got left. And there's reams and reams of books on this, but relationally, friends, strengthen. Do you listen? Do you give people eye contact? Do you always have to be right? Do you always have to win? Do you have an awareness of other people's situation when you're talking to them? If you're discouraging them, start to encourage them. Do you have an awareness of all these things? Do you have sensitivity? Do you have empathy? Do you have connectivity with people? God wants every one of us to grow in the relational intelligence this is a relational church it's not people coming in and out it's people that connect with each other and uh, it's not intelligent to say well I, I you know i just sort of say it as it is if they don't like it they can stick it you've got to do better friends i've got to do better you see and if you're one of these people and i understand it i've lived with a yorkshire last for 35 years you know that, that's just to say it as it is the reality is can somebody say it as it is to you because if they can't say it to you, you'll, you forfeit the right to say it to me with respect. Otherwise, it's just one way. That is not relationship. I want people to be straight with me. But will you give me the permission to be straight with you also? That's how it works. That's how it works. <clears throat> Fourthly, we need to strengthen physically. 1 Timothy four eight says that physical training is of some value. And you may not want to pitch up to Christian and Caroline's fitness regime that they were talking about last week. My word. But here's the truth, friends. We need to be careful in this area. Young people, God's made you to be active. Jumping in that car to go 200 yards down to the shops, this year needs to stop, You need to walk. Because before you know what, you get old like me. believe it or not I still need some energy to do what I've got to do remember reading an article by Brian Houston when he became 50 in the Australian Evangel and he tackled all this thing about being intelligent physically of course he's a similar age to me so he's a lot nearer 60 than 50 now and uh, not this year but next oh Where did I read this week? They said, I sailed through 50, but when I got to 60, it was like I ate a war. That's the word of the Lord. You know, I trust not. But the truth of the matter is, friends, that we don't want to get, we're we're not going to sort of engage everyone in the fitness regime in the church. And we understand there's limitations in people in the church seasons. We said to our older folks, all that they bring to the church, wisdom and prayer intercession. But it's not for them to be racing around stacking the chairs. They've done all that. It's for other people to be doing it. So we understand all that. We understand that some people, the first thing that they feel when they put their foot on the floor in the morning is they get out of bed is pain. And they deal with it with amazing grace, fortitude. Come to the house of God, serve the Lord. It's incredible. But I want to encourage you to be intelligent in your physical area. I mean, boy, we've been bombarded with stuff. Have you seen that guy that's come up with this plan where you can fast two days a week, five, two, Well, if you combine that with prayer, that could be a good journey this year, but but, uh, there's all sorts of things bombarding us, you know, and you just need to be intelligent in this area. Would I like to be four or five kilos lighter? Probably, but I I feel as though I sort of can do what I need to do by being careful in terms of what I do, and, uh, you know, for me, that's Maybe something that's not been an issue to other people. Some people can't stand exercise or whatever. I'm talking about going for a walk to the shops. I'm not talking about pitching up for this 25-minute thing that will kill you, you know. (laughs) And then finally, friends, we need to be intelligent mentally. Uh, And I come to this as I close with some sensitivity because... um, Some of us will immediately go to a particular thought pattern on that. and think we always talking about the depressed. Well, <clears throat> depression is very complex. And it has many stratas to it. And the reality is it may be that even in an arena church, people have to find professional counselling for all that. And that's fine. It's not a new thing. There are many people that have been impacted by depression over the years. Hans Christian Andersen, Gustav Holtz, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Mark Twain. Among the, great, among the great pantheon of Christian leaders, Luther, Bunyan, Spurgeon, all wrestle with this. And so on. But I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm just talking about every one of us recognizing that the mind is a battle area. And the Bible says in Romans that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Bible says that we're to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. It says that we're to think on these things. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lowly and admirable. We're to set our minds on things above. So learn to create full filters and barriers in your mind if you you know GIGO garbage in, garbage out. If you are forever filling your mind with rubbish, if you are forever reading books that were rooted in the powers of darkness, if you are forever watching stuff on film, DVD or whatever that is inappropriate, you are heading for defeat. But if you will focus your mind on the things that are true and pure and good, you will be amazed what god will do in you absolutely amazed i trust that you have caught my heart this morning on this play on word of intelligence that this this year we will get deeper in our faculty of understanding it's contrary to the world and i'm glad about that because it's rooted in a cross it's not just about head knowledge But it's about understanding that true intelligence is about heart relationship. And of course, there's lots that you could read, plethora of books on every element that I brought this morning. But in multiple intelligence for Arena Church this year, let's strengthen spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, and mentally. It will give us balance, it will make us resilient, and it will cause us to be vigilant. This is living with true intelligence. It's strengthening. Those sorts of people are really clever.